This is After Liberation Media. I'm Gullah Jack here with Brother Macaru and Sister Tahira. You know, once again, we are bombarded with the latest in terms of the hostilities and atrocities meted out by the white supremacist dynamic. You know, sadly, we appear to be, in fact, we are powerless to do anything about this ongoing onslaught. We march, but in spite of our marches, we have not been able to impede the engines of white supremacy. They continue to kill at alarming rates. You know, suffice it to say, nothing has changed in terms of the power dynamic or the differential power imbalance that we are victim of. Uh, Brother Macaru, I know you have something relevant to say. Most definitely. And the thing of it is, is that, um, you know, we, we engage in struggle to restore our people to our previous position before the Europeans launched uh, what Professor Chen Wiezu calls the chattelization race war, uh, which began in 1441 with the uh, first Africans who were taken uh, to Europe and enslaved. And first, the first 10 Africans were given to Pope Martin V. And being a holy and righteous man, he was, of course, he accepted these human beings as his property. But for us, who are descendants of those who became victims of the world's largest forced migration, our situation really escalated after the uh, disaster of 1492, the European invasion launched on the Caribbean by the genocide heir Christo, Cristobal Colon, also known as Christopher Columbus, and that initiated what Gullah Jack is talking about, this 500-year-plus uh, process by which African people have been disempowered by barbaric and sophisticated systems of white supremacy, and our struggle is to restore our people to our previous condition as free, proud, productive, prosperous, and powerful people. That's why these people who are calling our people de descendants of slaves are just um, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a deep state of menticide because our people were not slaves. Our people were free, proud, productive people who were enslaved as a result of the war that was launched by the Europeans and which continues today despite uh, despite battles that we have won like on the island of Haiti and other places we have won battles but the uh, the war continues because Europeans uh, have the capacity to uh, reconfigure their forms of oppression and exploitation and that's where we are uh, we posted something today on our Facebook page. You can get African Liberation Media on Facebook. It's a public page. And of course, uh, you uh, listen to this podcast, so you know that you can listen to the podcast on the Podbeam and other, other sources, AfricanLiberationMedia.com, for example. But our media contributor, Tahira, uh, sent this information to me today about this uh, police officer in Tennessee who has been indicted on 44 charges, 25 felonies, and 19 misdemeanors. 
and uh, I titled it White Police Officer Privilege. Uh, the charges include six counts of sexual battery, two counts of rape, nine counts of o- official suppression, oppression, official oppression. I, that's a, I don't know what that is, but extortion, stalking, assault, and other charges, and the officer has been released on a $25,000 bond, 44 charges, 25 felonies. Now, there was a brother last week uh, from Charlotte. Son, his son plays football for Vance High School. They went down to play the Richmond County Raiders, and Vance uh, turned up a winner in that game. While they were going into the game, one of his sons was arrested for disorderly conduct. He approached a police officer and asked the police officer, why was his son arrested? The officer responded by saying, I don't have to talk to you. He said, it's your duty to tell me why you arrested my son. The police officer's very next response, or he may have been a deputy sheriff, his very next response was, turn around and put your hands behind your back. And the brother was incredulous. He said, I just asked a question. And that led to a scuffle with like six police officers. By the time they finished with all the charges of resisting arrest and the other charges, this brother's bond in Richmond County, North Carolina, was $150,000. And this, this police officer with 44 charges... <laughs> His bond is only $25,000, and people think we can reform uh, this system. But anyway, um, let me go ahead and continue with the information. Uh, the video of the arrest, uh, he, was, he was indicted for several arrests. Uh, one arrest was of a young black woman. He forced her to remove uh, her un- one of her undergarments, and then he drove her Uh, forced her, she said she was scared not to obey him, to drive to a lake where he said she needed to be baptized. So he took her to this this lake and proceeded to baptize her. Now, this guy is like a uh, 26-year-old police officer. But uh, the, the, the video that's making the rounds is the arrest of this brother named James Mitchell. The video of the arrest of James Mitchell reflects the six sexual fetishes of white people regarding the bodies of African people. It, re, it uh, reflects the white man's obsession with the black man's genitalia. You can see on the video, this guy repeatedly just groping the, the brother, you know, by his genitals. I mean, it, this is incredible now. They supposedly stopped the brother because they had tinted windows, and he admitted to having, uh, you know, a couple of bags of uh, marijuana on him. Um it reflects hundreds of years of physical and sexual abuse of African, that African people have suffered at the hands of white authorities, particularly law enforcement, before video evidence became available, and it, and it reflects the continuing white privilege of police officers. Wilkie was hired by the sheriff's office. Uh, I think the county is uh, Chattanooga, where Chattanooga is located, I believe. Wilkie was hired by the sheriff's office in February of 2018, just six months after leaving the Rhea County Sheriff's Office in August of 2017. Six months before that, in February 2017, Rhea County reached a settlement in a federal lawsuit that claimed Wilkie fatally shot Stephen Lee Buddy Howell while employed as a deputy in the uh, Rhea County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Supposedly, he and this guy Howell got in a scuffle 
in the emergency room, and he winds up killing the guy. So this guy's killed one person. This this county has already had to pay out money for a federal lawsuit, but he still gets hired. He still gets hired, and there have uh, there, obviously there have been there have been massive protests by uh, the, uh, large numbers of uh, African people. Uh, you know, down in that area, the NAACP, uh, you know, the black pastors and, and others. And one of the things that uh, that they uh, that says the incident sparked outrage among Chattanooga's black leaders with the NAACP characterizing the cavity search as aggravated rape and pleading for criminal accountability from law enforcement and unity from citizens in order to bring an end to police brutality against people of color. I don't know why we always go there. But anyway. Several others, including a group of 50 Hamilton County black pastors, have called for the resignation of Sheriff Jim Hammond, who said he would stand by his men uh, in terms of their ability and their training. Mm -hmm. Hammond said he won't step down, but the 75-year-old, obviously a product of American apartheid, no doubt, and still operating with the uh, mass-based philosophy of white supremacy, has announced he won't run for re-election in 2022. (laughs) He won't fire his deputies either, he said, without following the proper process. Public employees facing termination possess legal protections that employees in in the private sector don't have. While nothing prevents governments from quickly firing public employees, those employees can sue for monetary relief. However, the sheriff's office has fired employees once they face criminal charges. So why won't this man fire this guy that's been indicted on 44 charges? So, I mean, the, the, you know, the issues we raised uh, earlier regarding, um, you know, these six sexual fetishes, the, the uh, fantasies that white males have regarding the black male uh, genitalia, uh, the abuse of the bodies of, of black women, uh, and all, all of this... None of this, all of this has been going on for hundreds of years with no documentation. The, the rape of Reese Taylor, for example, that's, that, in, that drove Mrs. Rosa Parks into action in Montgomery. That's why she was an activist, not just a person who took a seat on a bus, right? A married woman, I think she was pregnant, raped by some white men in Alabama, no charges, you, 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 we, we just have this has been going on for years with no, no, no recourse, no documentation, no laws or anything. And the only thing that's, that's saving some of our people now is the fact that um, these these police officers did this uh, with their own dash cameras on their own. I mean, you can see all of this. We posted the video on African Liberation Media, but uh, it, it's part of the 500 uh, year process of African powerlessness that has to be corrected, and it's a, it, it's a global issue. Uh, we can organize and do as much as we can in the United States, but this is an African global issue that has to be addressed. So uh, that's what I wanted to uh, open with. I don't know if you all wanted to comment on anything on that. or Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Brother Macaru, I'm reminded of a statement uh, uttered by the racist Attorney General William Barr to the effect that the police officers get no respect. You know, whenever somebody uh, brings up the idea that Black Lives Matter, it's always met with the rejoinder, all lives matter, blue lives matter. 
in a real sense, minimizing the trauma that we experience, that we have experienced for centuries. You know, you look at television and you're inundated with just cop shows, glorification of police, day in and day out. Uh, in the words of Glenn Ford, you know, if the cops do decide to leave with the concept of community control of the police gaining traction, a lot of people in the community, this is Glenn Ford talking, are saying good riddance. <laughs> but, you know, it would be incumbent upon us to come up with the techniques and strategies by which, you know, we can minimize some of the reactionary uh, behavior that's taking place in the black community by dealing with many of these uh, issues from a contextual standpoint, you know, teen unemployment, et cetera, et cetera, the precursors for some of the uh, violence that we find in the black community, while at the same time working to uh, bring about structural change. But absolutely, it has to stop uh, game, set, match, plain and simple. Yeah, and they, they, they won't stop on their own. You know, no, Douglas no. said power can seize nothing without a demand. So they clearly, clearly, clearly will not stop on their own. So what, um, you know, we have to make it stop. And, you know, let me, let me just say this. For people who may be struggling with this issue, um, when, when we address issues that affect African people, we are often uh, confronted by people who say, oh, well, what about all people? <laughs> and my response to that is always, who has the experience that African people have had here in the United States. When, when we look at the uh, specific idiosyncrasies of our experience, you know, beginning with the arrival of the 20 and odd in, in 1619 and continuing with the 246 years of chattel slavery followed by nearly 100 years of American apartheid, which included the lynchings, the destruction of black community in towns like the Greenwood community of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Ocoee, Florida, Rosewood, Florida, Wilmington, North Carolina, massacres of African people in places like Elaine, Arkansas, Colfax, Louisiana. Who else has that specific experience? Who else has laws? that have been specifically passed by this country, beginning with this, the Constitution. Now, we're not even talking about the laws that were, that were race-specific uh, by British colonial North America, such as the Negro Act of 1740 after the 1739 um, Stono Rebellion. But the United States Constitution with three race-specific clauses without using the term African or even Negro, the three-fifths clause, the uh, fugitive slave clause, and the uh, slave trade clause. All of these things are in the U.S. Constitution. And then we go through all, all of the other examples leading up to uh, Roger Tawney's ruling in the Dred Scott decision, which said black people have no rights, which white people are bound to respect. And then they want to come at you talking about, well, what about all? Who has that experience? 
A unique experience, an experience without specific idiosyncrasies, requires very specific solutions. There, there, are, there are no uh, rising tide lifts all boats. There are no catch-alls for you know, the, the conditions that have, been, that have affected African people in, in this country uh, for 400 years, 1619 to 2019, and in this part of the, the world— uh, since 1492 and on the African continent since 1441. There's no generic prescription for these, for these problems. So I categorically reject this. And whenever anybody says, well, you know, uh, when, when you talk about this, uh, what about all people? Well, where are the all people that suffered the Colfax massacre, the Elaine, where are the all people who had their churches bombed and their little girls killed? Where are the all people who had their leaders uh, gunned down repeatedly? Where are the all people who still have political prisoners in jail right now? Not to mention those uh, that spent 30, 40, 50 years in jail or those forced into exile. Where are the all people who suffer uh, in some cities, uh, only uh, 40, 44, 43% of the black males are employed. So I'm, you know, that, I, I love to be challenged on this point. I can't, I can't wait to get in a forum and make a statement so that somebody can bring up the all people point. But uh, let me move on. I know uh, uh, Tahira joined us tonight because uh, you know, she is our social media expert. She keeps us in well informed on things that uh, Gullah Jack and I probably would never pay any attention to. Oh, absolutely! Uh, and uh, so, pleasure to have you here, sister. <laughs> Thank so you. Uh, she pointed out a she 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 you know, uh, Gullah Jack and I one one in in addition to being very close to her, uh, Tahira is, is is also can talk sports with the best of anybody, and so <laughs> that's another thing that. Uh, <laughs> That we enjoy, but go ahead, Tira. With uh, give us a couple of the things, uh, maybe one of the things that we can go back around. And, you know, something that, that caught your attention this week. Um, well, since you mentioned sports, I will um, go into the the Mike Vick situation. You know, he was named NFL's um, honorary Pro Bowl captain this year, and. Um, I checked the numbers, and as of 30 or so minutes ago, 582,831 people have signed the uh, the petition. Uh, The petition, do not allow Mike Vick to be honored in the 2020 NFL Pro Bowl. You said how many people? 582,831. That's just one position. Hold on. Okay. 325,405 have signed the change.org petition NFL stop Michael Vick from being Pro Bowl captain and 112,000 have signed the make NFL replace Mike Vick in the Pro Bowl Pro Bowl change.org competition and, and as I was checking those those numbers were steadily steadily going So that's over a million people. Over a million people. Um and the the thing that uh, the thing that got me so so on August uh, twenty seventh uh, two thousand seven he pleaded guilty was sentenced to twenty three months in federal prison and was released in May two thousand nine. Um, I don't know if you remember 
I don't know. I I don't know exactly the year, but it was either 2007 or 2008, and I I was in Auburn and I uh, was watching TV, and I don't remember the channel or anything, but just so happens uh, that. This guy, and I believe it was Alabama, I'm pretty sure it was Alabama because I was in Alabama, uh, was giving a tour of his property. And, um, you know, in shorter, we had the, the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And he was he was uh, showing us what happens to the, the dogs after they retire. After the greyhounds. They, after they, the greyhounds, after they are no longer able to compete. Right. Um, and... His his yard, acres and acres, filled with you know dead greyhounds. They they that they, they uh, euthanized. Right, um, and and uh, so I was trying to find when this happened this week. I was trying to find you know YouTube and see if they had that. You know, this is two thousand. You know, like I said, two thousand seven or eight. But I always related it to the Mike Vick. You know. Uh, Conviction and and everything that he's you know been facing after after you know all of the aftermath, but what I did find was in 2002 a 60 year old man named Robert Rhodes from Lillian, Alabama. He was a greyhound greyhound track security guard. He had been um, charged with felony animal cruelty. He had over investigators say over 3,000 greyhounds on his property that he had killed. And he said he always killed them, you know, in the most humane way. He said he always <laughs> shot him in the head. He had a shotgun or a rifle that he shot him with. Very humane. But they dug up some of the dogs and found out that some, some of them were shot in the neck and in the snout. And, you know, you just wonder how much of that is still going on and where is all of the the anger and uh, they know. they routinely put these dogs to death after they they no longer can make money gambling off of them. And she she's referring to they have a greyhound track in um, Shorter, Alabama, <clears throat> which is in Macon County. Uh, you know what, ten miles from Tuskegee or somewhere in the neighborhood. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. And so you you have you have that. Now that's thousands of dogs. Mike Vick had maybe fifty, maybe he's forty seven something. I don't know the exact number. And then you have poaching of uh, especially of the endangered species: ele- elephants, tigers, gorillas, rhinos, sea turtles. Uh, you know, and it's just like where is all of the outrage for this? You know, but th- this Mike Vick outrage is is false. You know, false outrage. And everyone, if we're being honest with ourselves, we know why they have this out that this outrage. They they hated that a talented black man was able to be so successful, and you know was uh, think I don't know what year it was he received a what was about about to be the largest contract uh, mm-hmm. in NFL history. They right. they, they hate that, mm-hmm. and so he uh, he gave he gave them an opportunity to really have a legitimate. Issue, you know, with him, a real legitimate hate for him, mm-hmm. and and they ran with it, and they haven't let it go. But many of these, almost a million people, right, uh, applauded Botham John's brother for hugging and forgiving Amber Geiger. Right. These same people are silent when police murder unarmed black people. Mm-hmm. Where, where are the millions of petitions for for all of these murders? You know, uh, we, we had. How much money did they raise for George Zimmerman? You know, but but no money raised and no petitions for uh, for 
our our lives and and these are the same people that tell us to get over slavery and all of the other vile atrocities that we have faced at the hands of their ancestors uh yet they can't forgive and forget this one situation um race racist white people are very fickle with their morality <laughs> yeah to the extent that they did they have any, uh, Jack? What, what can you say about that, brother? The obvious, everywhere, there are contradictions. Uh, you know, suffice it to say, and uh, I'm not surprised, uh, given the fact that racism is the unnamed political system in the world today. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to say with no hesitation that it is the most dominant religion in the world today. Mm. And the uh, castigation of Mike Vick is mild in comparison to the ultimate objective. The logical conclusion of racism is genocide. You know, and, uh, well, pardon me. Uh, This becomes the long-range objective of a critical mass of white people. Uh, We talked last week about the glee, uh, the, the, I don't know how to describe it, except to say the glee that was uh, shown on the faces of of the police officers after the execution of Fred Hamilton, Fred, Fred, uh, Hampton, Fred Hampton. I'm sorry, brother brutally murdered over 50 years ago in Chicago, one of the more heinous crimes uh, ever committed, uh, destroying or decapitating black leadership. Very reminiscent of the uh, glee that was shown on the face of white lynchers on church grounds, you know, where the genitalia of black people were basically severed from their bodies and skin, ears, what have you, various body parts, sold for souvenirs. So what we're dealing with is the illusion of progress. Mm. You know, suffice it to say, you know, I mean, things have not changed. Yeah, and and the the thing of it is is that, you know, when we raise issues, you know, like uh, reparations for chattel slavery, well, uh, when when are you all going to get over this? I mean, you know, how how do you get over something that continues, you know, unabated? I mean, uh, you know, you're supposed to forget the lynching of Mary Turner, cutting cutting the, the, the baby. She was pregnant. They cut the baby out of her stomach, stomped the baby to death, and then proceeded to lynch her, all because, you know, she objected to the killing of her husband. She objected to the killing of her husband, and she got lynched, and then they stomped her baby. We, we're supposed to forget the, uh, the tarred body of Jess Washington, uh, you know, hanging from a tree, uh, you know, having been burned, limbs cut off, having been burned. And t- we, you, you're just supposed to forget. You're supposed to forget all of, the, all of these things and, 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 and move on, as they say. But here, here you have a man that was convicted, admitted that he was wrong, served his time, paid his debt to society, uh, and uh, was given another chance to play in the NFL, um, you know, unlike Colin Kaepernick. But he was given a chance, and 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 and, and they're still coming after him now. I I think personally that Goodell 
chose Vic as uh, as a distraction from the Kaepernick fiasco personally, uh, and that and he chose to stand by him. I think uh, he he knew that there would be outrage, uh, you know, from the uh, raw elements of the white supremacy dynamic. That was that was guaranteed. And uh, so now by standing by Vic, it was like, okay, you know, Vic, Vic is going to be the captain of uh, this Pro Bowl team. But, uh, you know, it gives, it gives them an out. I saw, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, Terry, the other day. Uh, somebody dug through some of his uh, tax records and found out that he's got past due tax bills. That he hasn't paid. So, you know, that's what happens, you know, when, you know, once they open the can of worms, they just start digging and see what they can find. Um, but Goodell said he was going to stick by him. Looking for any reason. Any reason, any reason. Yeah. Uh, let me. You, you got no, no, just, you know, uh, just punctuating what you just said, brother. It will be interesting to see what punk Goodell does <laughs> given this you know outrage coming from the white community that will be very interesting well he said that, that, that Vic would remain and I think yeah, I think yeah. I think he's been over a barrel with the Kaepernick thing uh, before we go to the next thing Tahira has I, I just want to mention this very briefly because it is it's a hot topic that I, that I think will have some ramifications uh, maybe even for us uh, sitting here. Uh, there was this past week in Jersey City um, a shootout. Uh, two people of African descent, a 47-year-old black male and a 50-year-old uh, black female, uh, allegedly killed a police officer. They were supposedly warn wanted on another murder charge. And uh, they drove into downtown Jersey City, jumped out and ran into a Jewish-owned uh, supermarket, supposedly opening fire. Uh, killing three people that were in the supermarket. I think one of them may have been the owner of the market. And uh, the police responded, the massive show of force, and they uh, they were killed themselves. So you had a total of six people killed. Uh, here's what was interesting uh, to us, uh, because we contextualize everything here. That's our job. Um Politicians and the corporate media were quick to label this incident terrorism or hate crime and connect the suspects to a religious ethnic group, the ethnic group being the uh, black Hebrew Israelites. A suspect in the deadly attack on a kosher market in Jersey City was connected to the black Hebrew Israelites, which has been labeled a hate group. It has been labeled a hate group by uh, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center and probably the FBI. Uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said on Wednesday that the attack was a premeditated, violent, anti-Semitic hate crime and an act of terror. Okay, so we quite naturally started looking for other cases and see how were they classified. Uh, in 2015, this article was published uh, Dylan Roof was charged with 33 criminal acts, including hate crimes and firearms violations for his killing spree at the historic African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina. Even before the charges were announced, questions were raised about FBI Director James Comey, who some people have certain uh, likeness for for some reason. James Comey's reluctance to call the attack an act of domestic terrorism particularly since his office is so quick to label acts of violence by 
Muslims is terrorism. Mm. The discrepancy in the way authorities handle mass shootings by different actors reflects distinctions that are baked into the criminal code. At the end of the day, Ruth's alleged crimes aren't aligned with any that would qualify as terrorism. And, of course, now, uh, Loretta Lynch, Barack Obama's second uh, black attorney general, is the person who announced these charges, and Lynch uh, more or less uh, channeled what Comey said with that, uh, uh, you know, we can't charge him with terrorism. Uh, You don't, there may not be a law, okay, but what about the label itself? What about saying that this is, in fact, an an act of terrorism? That's one of the ways laws are created, uh, by by the fact that uh, that that people recognize it for what it is, so so this uh, the the roof situation is like a lot of situations where we've had acts of domestic terrorism by raw elements of the white supremacy dynamic that are never classified as terrorism. Of course, they weren't using the term terrorism then, but what was the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church other than an act of terrorism by a terrorist organization, the Ku Klux Klan, Dynamite Bob Chamless, and the Ku Klux Klan that bombed the, that bombed the church, that, that killed the, the four young girls and uh, uh, wounded, seriously wounded a fifth girl, Sarah Collins Rudolph. So, so what we have operating here is, is the classic... Uh, double standard when it comes uh, to, to people of African descent. And, and a lot of people, even some uh, uh, people of African descent have said, well, you know, these Hebrew Israelites, I mean, you know, they're always uh, advocating violence. And, th- and that's absolutely not true. Even the New York Times had to admit, for example, broadly, broadly speaking, they're talking about the he- Hebrew Israelites here, the black Hebrew Israelites, Broadly speaking, followers reject the notion of race and instead believe that the 12 tribes of Israel defined in the Old Testament are different ethnic groups and nations and that whites are not among them. They mostly trade in anti-Semitism and they view Jews as imposters, said uh, the director of uh, the intelligence report at the Southern Poverty Law Center, which tracks uh, these extremist groups. It is labeled the black Hebrew Israelites uh, as a hate group. They... Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center has a section called Black Nationalist Hate Groups, just like the FBI, okay? And there are actually more Hebrew-Israelite organizations on this list than, than any others. Mm-hmm. But I think what, um, what, what they're driving at here, I think, and this is what I wrote, I suspect that this will intensify the black identist extremist propaganda coming from the FBI and the U.S. government. The couple had five weapons with them, an AR-15, a 12-gauge shotgun, 9-millimeter Ruger, 9-millimeter Glock, and 22, which had a homemade silencer, and they had a pipe bomb in their U-Haul. Now, just coincidentally, uh, New York City authorities announced a new unit to focus on extremist hate crimes. The The unit is dubbed Racially and Ethically Motivated Extremism. So I expect this to to actually launch something similar to what we saw during the COINTELPRO era in terms of identifying people 
who may make loose statements or say things. And we have to we have to be, uh, you know, very specific. I mean, in my opinion, there's nothing revolutionary about running in a kosher market and shooting down people. This is not the Black Liberation Army, Russell Maroon Schultz. OK, so this is not that kind of situation. I don't know what motivated, uh, you know, these people to do this, but I do know that there are likely to be some ramifications from it. Of course, it's not going to stop us. Uh, you know, we know that. Um, words can be taught it to show uh, material and emotional support for terrorist groups. So you have to be very, very careful with your language and whatnot. But we just should be aware that uh, I think this is coming down the pipe. OK. Yeah. Once again, this is the Black Liberation Media. Brother, listening to you talk, it just reminds me of a century old reality that our survival, in a real sense, depends on our ability to uh, navigate around white fragility. Oh, Lord. You know, and suffice to say that, uh, you know, this affects our political behavior. It does. Given the fact that fear drives policy. Yes. You know, on the other side, they have a habit of disremembering. You know, you alluded to that er earlier. Innocence, guilt denial, shared victimization, all lives matter, blue lives matter. I'm uh, part Cherokee. Uh, and if you were to confront those folk, brother, the white supremacists, or uh, even those who don't naively refer to themselves as a racist or white supremacy, we know what the reaction is going to be. You're going to get verbal incoherence, self-corrections, Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, long pauses. Right. You know, that's <laughs> typical of what you find, you know, in these verbal confrontations, you know. It's, and you are a racist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. even raising the issue. Yeah, I, yeah. In the words of Stokely Carmichael, I got all these names and no power. <laughs> <laughs> Tahira, what else did you have on uh, from social media? Uh, one thing that really... Uh, Pissed me off. Woo, to the highest point of pissality. <laughs> for lack of better words. Um, a six-year-old boy um, who was murdered on oh September 26, 2016 by his mother, 29-year-old Geraldine Perkins, and her 45-year-old boyfriend, Rasheen Perkins. This was a little Zamir Perkins. Zamir was starved, beaten, Forced face, uh, forced face first into water, made to stand up all night, forced into a push-up position for long periods, and punched, among other things. The woman who gave birth to him, uh, because I simply cannot use the word mother to, yeah, yeah, to mother, describe mother, uh, Sister, if, if I may, a <laughs> uh -huh. uh, darn expletive human incubator. Exactly. The worthless individual. Mm. Alleges the abuse began in 2015 after an incident at a 4th of July party. Damn. So for over a year, this poor boy suffered at the hands of the woman responsible for protecting him. Perkins pleaded guilty to manslaughter and is facing two to six years in exchange for her cooperation. This is the, this is the woman that gave birth to the child? Yes. This is the mother? Yes. Okay. Here's what she said. This is via the two uh, to six years. Two to six years. Now, what what about the the, the boyfriend or who? Yeah. So he. Oh, you gonna get to that? Yeah, okay. I'm gonna get to that. Okay. So here's what she said, and this is via the Daily Mail. 
In her third day on the stand in Manhattan Supreme Court in the murder trial of her ex-boyfriend, Rasheem Smith, she confessed that she stood by she stood idly by while her son endured the heartless beating that killed him in their Harlem apartment September 26, 2016. After a day without food or water, punishment for his supposed misbehavior, Perkins testified she found little Zamir rummaging through the trash for food. She said, I heard him walking and going into the garbage bag, eating out of it, Perkins said. I thought it was a mouse. So since when does the footsteps and rummaging, (laughs) no matter how impoverished the child was, uh, sound like a mouse? The next morning, Perkins said she was awoken by Smith yelling at her son for defecating in the living room and hiding it. When she ran inside, she saw her hulking boyfriend hovering over a terrified Zamir, cursing and poking him in the stomach with the sharp end of a broken broomstick. Mm. He started to strike him with the broomstick, beating him from his chest to his legs with the broomstick, said Perkins. Why the F did you take a shit? (laughs) Why did you take a effing shit in here? There's a bathroom. You could have used the bathroom, she said. Smith yelled at the little boy. Perkins told jurors on Tuesday that she believed her son hid his stool in the living room because the apartment had no electricity and he was afraid to walk to the bathroom in the dark. Asked by Assistant District Attorney Kerry O'Connell whether Perkins felt the beating was merited, Perkins appeared to agree, saying, I felt he was wrong for doing that in the living room. Now, these are the words of the woman who could get as little as two years for her son's son's murder. She sounds very complicit to me. The beating intensified when Smith picked a screaming Zamir from the floor and, and brought him into the bathroom where he waterboarded him before pulling, him, uh, pulling down the shower rod and unleashing another beating. He was going limp like unresponsive, Perkins recounted. Unfazed, Perkins said she and Smith thought the boy was pretending to be unconscious, a survival tactic he tried before when Smith beat him, she testified. Perkins said usually... When this happened, the couple would try to smack him just to see if he was faking and he'll get up. But Zamir didn't wake up this time, Perkins said, which didn't stop Smith from hanging the little boy's emaciated body at the bathroom door, on the bathroom door. Perkins said at some point she took her son down and Smith tossed him into an unused bedroom where he landed between the wall and the bed. He looked like he was dead, his mother testified. Perkins said hours later, she finally sought medical assistance for her son, who she testified she instinctively knew was dead. According to Perkins, while Zamir lied dying, Smith went out to get them breakfast, and Perkins cleaned the living room, the bedroom, and read the Bible. She said she eventually tried mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and chest compressions after the bath didn't awake the battered child. I was hoping he'll just wake up out of whatever was going on with him. I was just hoping he'll get up, she said. Asked what she truly believed during those crucial moments, Perkins testified that my baby is dead, that I'm going to be in jail, and I'm in a terrible, um, a lot of trouble. When Smith returned home hours later, he ordered Perkins to take the boy out of the building through an exit way, an exit away from their apartment, and lie if anyone asked her, where she came from. He said to tell people Zamir had suffered food poisoning at a homeless shelter, Perkins testified. 
Before leaving, however, Perkins said she spent 10 minutes putting on a wig and makeup. I'm very self-conscious about how I look outside, she said. <laughs> and that's that's what I got from the article. But uh, I, I saw I saw a picture of her. Um, I, I really just don't know how much makeup can help. But she she looked a lot like Wanda from Holiday Heart in the picture that that I saw of her. But uh, these I always I you know people always uh, white people always say well, what about black on black violence and. You know, uh, I'm I'm hard on I'm hard on us, and I think that people like these two these are two people that we don't need. You know, um, these these are not our people, and um, just think about it. In as little as two years, at most six, she'll be she'll still be childbearing age. She's 29 right now. Um, after this, should she be allowed to should she be allowed to procreate? You know. <laughs> um, and where was Zamir's father, family? Where was his village? Where mm. were the teachers and administrators at his school? And what were they doing? And um, just FYI, five ACS investigations um, were not fully vetted. And they opened and closed. Um, and and that's, that's child services. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And how much time did the, has the... Uh, they haven't given him uh, they, anything. But he's going to... Uh, face life in prison, basically. Not good enough. Not good enough. Uh, she should face life in prison. Mm-hmm. This this woman should never be allowed uh, to see the light of day again uh, in anywhere. And 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 I I hope there's some sisters in prison that, mm-hmm. that administer punishment to her on a daily basis and. Uh, maybe uh, this guy can meet the uh, same fate as Jeffrey Dahmer at the hands of somebody. Uh, th- I mean, you know, what kind of human beings are being produced in this country that could do this? How can any woman that goes through childbearing stand by and allow this to happen to her son? And I- I'm like you, the system has to be incriminated here there had there had to be some signs somewhere somebody had to know something man that's come to this child oh my god rescue uh but these two people um definitely two to six years i mean that's look you got people doing life without parole for weed i mean how it just it doesn't make. I mean, it's, it's it's pure insanity. I mean, but but the question is, what kind of human beings are we producing? Because we see so many children being killed now. And when Gullah Jack, when, when you and I were growing up, we would hear about certain crimes, and we would say, "We know white people did that. <laughs> we know white. I mean, if we if we heard about there were certain categories of crimes, if we heard about them, we would say, "Well, we 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 know somebody." We know somebody white did it we, because we didn't do those kinds of things at that time. What has happened to us? Brother, I have no explanation. I certainly have no remorse. And we can contextualize the effects of white supremacy. We've said many times that uh, you know, disease relationships between
between groups, resulting in disease relationships between groups and disease relationships within groups, resulting in disease relationships on the part of individual constituents of that group. You know, but this is beyond that explanation. I mean, there is no humanity in this even under the most horrendous of treatment during shadow slavery. This is absolutely un unheard of. This is just very, it's hurtful to me personally. It's tearful. Uh, this goes beyond you know, I expose you to this toxicity that's known as white supremacy. That's a powerful report, young lady. Give me this young man's name again. To of the, the, the six-year-old? Of the departed, of the six-year-old. Yes. Spell it for him. Zamir me. Perkins, Z-Y-M-E-R-E, -E and Perkins. Yeah, it's, you know, whatever you want to call the... Lower spirit, uh, bless shaitan, the accursed devil or whatever. You know, here again, this is indicative of the fact that you cannot really... The depth of this being that's internalized, been inculcated, you know, it, it has, you know, th there's no depth to it. Period. You know, you 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 see, you'll see on uh, animal shows. You 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 will see a mother that has young. I, I saw one not too not too long ago. Uh, there was a uh, a cheetah or a leopard. I can't remember which. Surrounded by a pack of lions. She had two young cubs. Now, they obviously could have charged the, uh, the, the cheetah by herself could have outrun them, gotten away. But she had those two little cubs. And she was absolutely determined to do everything she possibly could. And, you know, all she could do was growl and whatever and whatnot. And, you know, the, 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 the female, the lionesses were circling around her. And I can't remember exactly what happened that distracted them for a minute. I don't know if, it, you know, a hyena or something came along, but she was, she was able to save her cubs. She, she fought. She was, she was with, she was going to die. She was going to die. She, this is an animal. She was going to die. They were not going to kill her cubs. She would not run away, which, you know, she's the, the fastest animal on the planet. She could have gotten away easily, but she wouldn't abandon them. And, and, you know, the, the animal world has this sense. <laughs> and they, they're supposed to be just driven by instincts, and you got human beings that are supposed to have the capacity to distinguish, you know, right from wrong. And, uh, and you just, and, and you know, it, 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 it has been, it seems just uh, been evacuated by a lot of people. You, you got, was there anything else... Uh, Dear, well, we got we got well, about ten minutes, okay. uh, nine minutes. You got I, something else? I, I did want to say one last thing about this situation because it it plays into the hands of of the presser for sure. So first, you have a, a six year old black male, which is 
an endangered species himself, right? Right. He's dead now. You have a a mother who's essentially getting and getting away with it two to six years. Uh, so she's she's free to like I said procreate. She'll still be childbearing age and 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 do this again. But then you have the the black male who's taking all of the you know blame for it, which he should you know do life in prison. But it, it plays into you know what they want. They want black men dead and they want them in prison. And you know here's this trifling black woman who's only gonna get you know two to six years from it. So. I, I think you can categorize this as what you always say, the psychodynamics of black self-annihilation in service of white domination. You know, Toyer, you're absolutely right in terms of it playing into the the rhetoric of white supremacy because, I mean, clearly, you know, the perception that they have is that we are not quite as human. Mm-hmm as they are. Mm-hmm. And in their minds, this is indicative of that historical, you know, centuries-long notion that they have had, you know, which justifies, you know, everything that we've described. It's, described. it's not necessary to reiterate the uh, barbaric, for lack of a better term, behavior. You know, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, traditional African culture is a child-centric culture. Uh, All of the emphasis of the culture is on socializing the children, protecting the children. That's that's traditional African culture. And even, uh, even though chattel slavery did everything it could to destroy the black family, essentially... Uh, the black family that to the extent that it existed was, was, totally at the disposal of the, uh, the plantation owner, the enslaver, because uh, the mother could obviously be raped, the father could be beaten or sold, the children could be sold. And so, and so they did everything they could to destroy this sense of, of uh, familyhood, which is the basis, which is the foundation of, of African, uh, traditional African culture. Here's the thing. When chattel slavery ended, we have numerous stories. I've documented some of these stories on my blog of African people putting their families back together. You would have a mother that uh, was in Virginia, and the last she heard was that her son was sold to a plantation owner in Alabama, walking walking from Virginia to Alabama, walking from Kentucky to Mississippi, walking from North Carolina to Louisiana to find, you know, uh, Harriet. Yeah, uh, a lot of uh, uh, people uh, took advantage of the media. They placed ads, for example, in newspapers. I got this documented on on my blog, I don't remember the title of the blog post now, but you have uh, somebody went somebody went back. Uh, uh, a social scientist went back and collected uh, the ads that were placed in newspapers. Black man named uh, Jack, you know, or a, a black child named Rose, last thought to be sold to a, a plantation in in Georgia, for example. 
And and so by 1900, 35 years out of chattel slavery, nine out of 10 black children was being raised in a two-parent family, which was often extended. We rebuilt our families in 35 years, in 35 years. And that held all the way up until uh, the late 1960s and 1970s when Monaghan did his study, 75% of black children were still being raised in a two-parent family. And then over a 30-year period between 1970 and 2000, we lost it. And now it's disintegrated into this. But it's our contention that if we do not rebuild our families, there is no black power without strong black families. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It begins with young black males and young black females who are reproducing children building uh, families. And I have this problem in my family. But we, we, but we, but, but this has got to be a priority. I don't know of anything more important, in my opinion. Uh, did you have another one, Tira? One more? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so at Kannapolis Middle uh, at Kannapolis Middle School here in North Carolina, um, a, a middle school history teacher, social studies <clears throat> teacher, um, sent home sent students home with an interesting assignment. Two of the questions asked, how many slaves would you need to equal two white people in counting the population? And how many slaves would you have if you equaled one four-fifths white? Uh, I don't even, those questions are really poorly, poorly written, but you know what, what they're getting at, what they're getting at. Um, and then interesting, around the same time, in a fifth grade social studies class at a Blades Elementary School in Oakville, Missouri, the uh, teacher sent home uh, an assignment. You own a plantation or farm and therefore need more workers. You begin to get involved in the slave trade industry and have slaves work on your farm. Your product to trade is slaves. Set your price for a slave. These could be worth a lot. You may trade for any items you'd like. Um, this particular teacher was uh, placed on placed on leave in, in Kannapolis. Uh, city schools did what they do and just apologize for for the incident. But these are the these are the people that are are teaching our future uh, history, <laughs> teaching our youth history. So I just found those uh, those two incidences, uh, both by social studies teachers, to to be interesting. Um, I would like to to see what their lessons lesson plans included, and, and and how they thought in their mind that that those were appropriate assignments to take home or to send home. Well, I mean, the, the lesson plans have to be submitted <laughs> and approved, right? I mean, somebody's supposed to be checking the lesson plan, so they didn't see any problems with this. Um, I, you know, I saw the the, uh, the 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 email you sent me had a. Um, had had a picture uh, because the the parent, the parent uh, did a uh, took a photo of the of the of the paper. It, it looked like math problems. It did look like math, but the article said it was a history. Yeah, the, teacher, the, so. the, the yeah the article said it was a history teacher, and she posted it online, and that's how that's how they found out about it. But obviously, uh, the social study teacher was doing uh, you know some kind of contortion of the three fifths compromise. And had, had, had turned it into a, 
because I saw I saw them writing, you know, some equations, uh, you know, trying to, um, you know, three fifths of a black person equals how many white people in this guy. I mean, but this is the see the that that mentality, right? That um, was produced in the U.S. Constitution by you know the you know the Thomas Jeffersons and Alexander Hamiltons and James uh, Madison is considered to be the father of the U.S. Constitution. This was their mentality. And what this shows is that that mentality hasn't, is, is still prevalent today. They're, they're giving children assignments based on this. Undoubtedly, for many years, you know, Africans made 60 cents of, of every dollar that the white man made. Uh, we're talking about things haven't changed. They have simply been uh, redesigned. What did Amos say? The more things change. The European constants. The more they remain the, the same. The more they remain the same. Suffice it to say, so much to do, uh, so little time. I'm curious as to why white folk are elevating these black queens, Miss America, Miss Universe. Like you said, brother, whenever white supremacy does something that defies logic, we have to raise our eyebrows. Sister Terrera, we are most appreciative of you. You should stay with us. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, you know that just gives us a different uh, perspective. You know, what you offered was very powerful, young lady. And in fact, uh, I'm teary-eyed inside, you know, just based on the story I've heard about uh, Zamir. I know it has to be personal. Uh, it was personal for me. This has been the African Liberation Media. Peace and blessings. Be before the A. Okay.